Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight we are joined once again by GamesBeat's Grandmaster, Chessmaster, Rowan Kaiser. GamesBeat's Troll Warlord. Hello. Oh, God. And we also welcome back our friend, Taylor Cock. Hello there. So, I was a little bit... I was excited, first of all, when Rowan said we should do a chess show. <laughs> and uh, I thought, what a cute idea. Somebody made chess out of, like, the Dota characters. And that would be, you know, it would be a cute little, like, what, what's the relation between theme and mechanics and, and all that stuff. Uh, but what I did not expect was whatever the hell Dota auto chess is. Uh, I certainly didn't think it would be a chess-themed battle royale. But... I suppose what I most didn't anticipate was that it would be such perfect uh, Rowan Kaiser beat. Uh, Kaiser bait. Uh, <laughs> Kaiser beat is the game's beat spinoff. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> upcoming. Uh, I wasn't expecting such perfect Rowan bait, uh, honestly. And once I started playing this thing and started to figure out what the hell was going on, uh, in part thanks to our absent friend John Boldings, uh, here's what the hell is going on in Dota Auto Chess article for uh, PC Gamer. Uh, which I found enormously helpful as I as I unpacked this, uh, it started to dawn on me maybe why I've seen Rowan playing this damn game so much uh, lately. It is a lot of it. It combines a lot of what's fun about MOBAs, uh, you know, hero selection, uh, you know, synergies between classes. But then I would also argue there is an element of party building and. Uh, sports franchise management built into this game, <laughs> all at the speed of light. Ooh. It's also got race and class, which are two of the absolute top-tier axes of oppression, and things I like to have in games mean something. Fantastic. So, you want to dig in a little bit to what Dota Auto Chess is? I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have probably already come across it a little bit, but if you haven't, it's a weird freaking thing. Like, even if you're seeing it, you don't know what you're saying. It's really weird because, like, our audience is either going to know exactly what it is or not have a fucking clue because this game is, like, huge in some ways and just, like, totally off the radar in others. And the way that a lot of, like, popular esports style or streaming style games are. But it's a mod for Dota 2 that has, like, 3 million downloads uh, it's up to six now, I believe. It's a, yeah, it's, it's some absurdly high number of downloads for any kind of game, um, let alone a random mod in a totally different genre from the actual game that it's built on. Uh, it's, a, it's a mod of a mod, if you think about it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, no, never mind. Don't need to get it out in history. But yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, like, it's it's taking some part of the world by store actually i would say all parts of the world i haven't i don't think i've ever played a game quite so international um but you know it's not making that much of a splash outside of esports but it is a really interesting strategy tactics deck building franchise management kind of game so uh yeah that's uh it it's impressed me a lot in that respect um the other thing i will say before i think handing it over to Taylor to describe exactly what it is, is that you do not need to know what Dota is to play this pretty much at all. Like, there's maybe a little bit of familiarity that will help you, but uh, the 
fantasy in Dota is like a generic version of the generic version of Warcraft 3's fantasy. So, yeah, all you need to know is like know what a fucking elf is and you will be fine with this game. As someone yeah. who does not play Dota 2 and has played a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing that really caught me most of all is, you mentioned it briefly, is the fact that it, I, I'm a guy who likes to play a lot of card games. I'm an old Magic the Gathering player. Um, I love Netrunner, Hearthstone. Like I've been playing CCGs and TCGs and LCGs, all the CGs uh, for years and years. Um, and what really caught me my eye about this, as somebody who has not played a bunch of, but an okay amount of Dota, but not a lot of a lot of Dota, is the fact that yeah, it's a it's a deck building game, at its at its core. Um, and once I started thinking of it, it like oh, this is not a it's not a tactics game really and it's not really a even a, a moba in that regard it's it's really definitely like you have a hand of cards effectively even though they don't look like cards they look like little statues uh and your the goal here is to build a composition and build better levels of heroes by combining cards and and creating the best composition composition you can and so like at at what it really fascinated me about this is that it's a it's a take on a competitive as Rob you said it's it's like a battle royale deck building game uh with only I mean only eight players so how battle royale is it really but um yeah that that's what really caught my eye at first and really got me into it and got me going uh and now I am dozens and dozens of hours deep and it's becoming a problem in my life <laughs> The games last a little longer than you feel like they should. I can't wait for the Blizzard variation yeah. of this. That's like oh, no. twenty minutes long. Um, <laughs> I was like, that was my first thought. Is I, I was like, this already feels more like a Heroes of the Storm mod than a Dota mod <laughs> in some ways. And so that was the other part where it was like, yeah, okay, I can see, yeah, like where this would also uh, scratch another of Rowan's eccentricities. Yeah. Um, that- I mean, that's also a reason that I have been able to dive into this is that I have sort of taken time off, possibly permanently from Heroes since they gutted it. Uh, So I have a sort of like multiplayer competitive game itch that uh, this game has been the one to scratch after Apex Legends did a pretty good job for a little while. Yeah, and I'm I'm taking a uh, perhaps permanent hiatus from League of Legends, which was my game of choice for a long time. Uh, so yeah, this is definitely scratching that itch for me as well. So I think just something I, I want to get into a little bit right at the start is just the structure of the match a little bit, the the arc of it, because I think part like it contributes to its pacing and some of the sort of macro level decisions you're thinking about uh, over the course of this thing. Is that is that something a decent way to attack this, Rowan? You you know it better yeah, than I, I, so I don't want to. Yeah, I, I was going to say like we should go through like how the match works basically, and that'll start leading to the the more uh, macro questions. I think. Yeah, so I think the the place to lead off is uh, in between, like at the start of every game, and then between every round. Uh, basically, you are given a small pool of money, and then uh, five. I think it's five uh, heroes to choose from, and. All the heroes have different costs associated with them. I think at level one, they're all one. Yeah. Uh, But as the game continues, you start seeing more expensive heroes uh, popping up. And then it kind of turns into, do you, are you sitting enough on enough money to afford those nicer heroes? 
and then but we we won't get into some of the other stuff with this, but now let's just start with that first game. So you you buy a uh, you buy enough heroes to field uh, for for the match. Uh, so you can let's say you buy uh, how many can you field? Is it five? It's to it depends on your the level of your character your class or courier. So yeah, so when you when you start the game, you can have one, and then you can level up to, through to level yeah. ten. At level ten, you can have ten heroes on the board. I and am, everything in between. I don't think I've played a game that's gotten to ten for me yet. So uh, that one's pretty rare. Yeah. Usually, it, it maybe, maybe you should start winning around. some. I I won like two in a row last night. I dominated, <laughs> but I, I got to nine instead of ten. Ah, okay. it's, usually, yeah. it's usually you get to seven to nine. Unless you yeah. do really well, or unless you do really poorly, or like the game gets into a into a slog, an exciting slog, but a slog. Yeah, uh, and and so once you've sort of bought these heroes, uh, you use your courier uh, to place them on this chessboard, and uh, the placement and positioning of these heroes is again something we'll we'll have to get into. I I am not at a point where I know what to do with this aspect of the game, but you are matched with somebody else, they field their roster. And then, completely out of your control, the two lineups run at each other. And they fight until one side is wiped out. And then uh, you move on to the next round. You repeat the process, the, the draft, uh, the, the, the purchasing, uh, the deployment. But right away, there's also an interesting economy at work here, which is that from the very first match... There's kind of a decision point right here of, like, do you want to try to win your early matches? Uh, want to talk us through the, like, there, there's so many, like, branching decision points with this with the structure of the game and with the way the economy works uh, that maybe this is where we start digging into that a little bit. Sure, yeah. I mean, the the, the most interesting part for me is actually, yeah, the, how the gold works in the game, how the macro works in the fact that, uh, so... There's a few things. Uh, first, you get bonus gold for either winning a bunch of matches in a row. I think it's the the win streak bonus starts at four or five wins in a row. So every, for every, every point past that, you get an extra gold per turn, which again can be put back into into uh, purchasing more units. Uh, or if you're on a losing streak, you can you also get bonus gold. Uh, and the goal there is to get enough gold in your bank that you start earning interest. So every ten gold you have. You get one more gold per round. So if you have ten, you get one. Twenty, you get two. All the way up to fifty, you get five there. Um, so you, yeah, that 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 makes the early round super interesting, and the mid game particularly interesting in the fact that if you're winning a bunch of early rounds, you want to continue pushing that, uh, continue pushing that advantage because you'll get that win streak gold. Uh, as the win streak gold goes on, you get more and more interest because you can save up more rapidly, um, and or if you're losing a lot early, you can just say, okay, I'm going to save money. I'm going to start looking for some of the late game composition heroes, and I'm just going to take a bunch of losses, lose a bunch of, uh, you, you have health points. Um, the For every round you lose, you lose a certain amount of health points. Once you're out, you're out, you lose. Uh, game over for you. So yeah, there's this really interesting decision point where you're saying, I'm losing a bunch of rounds, I'm saving up all this gold, and now uh, this is where I'm going to try to turn on my composition. Rowan, you can run the process. 
<laughs> in a deck you builder. You can. <laughs> uh, and, and, but unlike the process, you want to lose as little as possible instead of as much as possible. Because basically, the amount that you lose each round by is how many hit points you get taken off. It has to do with like the strength of the enemy units remaining. So if you like knock out every enemy except one, he's only going to do one or two damage to you. But if you knock if they like just wipe the floor with you guys you're going to lose like 16 health and you have 100 health in the game there's no way to get it back so uh yeah you, what you want to do is like this creates just a bunch of immediate decision points before we even get to how the decisions are made which are like are you trying to save money or are you trying to get specific units because you can re-roll the your little shop options so if you get like five heroes that you don't really want you can press a button to spend two gold and try and get more of them and you can just keep pressing that button for as long as you have time you can even do it during the round but that is uh unless you have like a specific goal in that that's usually pretty rare um you have that decision of trying to get the best pieces you can. You have the decision of trying to win or trying to lose or trying to manage your losing if you're losing. Or if you get trapped in a point where you're like winning and losing on and off, like figuring out which direction you want to go to. And the whole, like, am I saving gold? Like, if you get to a point where you're on a streak and you want to try to coast with that, like, how how far are you willing to, like, not upgrade either to hope that your winning streak maintains or have your losing streak like not get out of hand in order to get to 50 gold which is the max point with the interest so these are several like bigger picture things and i really think that the interest thing is one of the main ways that this game actually uh becomes like a really legit strategy game instead of like a a random fun little mod um because that that decision of like all right i'm going for either like maximum impact right now or maximum money later is uh a really it i don't think there's a good answer to that at any point in the game it's a thing that you have to like roll the dice on uh, and that's that's very clever it's it's definitely one of those things where i'm dumb a lot of the time and i can sit there and do that re-roll maneuver over and over again which is a total just it's a gamble every single time you do it and it's it messes it, it at a certain point it's total like you just give up on the lost cause fallacy you just go you're just like okay i'm just gonna spend all my money to find this one hero that i need um and it's fascinating when that happens because you you know if i'm playing with a buddy and i hear them start to click and it's oh dude are you looking for something yeah i'm looking for something that's gonna mess up your entire economy you realize that right he's like yeah i know i need that one last tide hunter i'm gonna find it and then you get you you get to it inevitably every single time you get to two gold and you find the tide hunter and you can't afford it because the tide hunter costs four gold every single time. <laughs> and it's just this amazing moment. I almost never do rerolls down to that low, but I, I'm a money hoarder, so that, you're, that you're a smarter man than I. I I don't I don't know. Like sometimes <laughs> I hoard the money too much and I get to like, all right, I have thirty percent of my health left and uh now I have a comp. Oh shit, I can only lose two games ever again. Um so yeah, that's that's an interesting decision. Um, one of the other things that's kind of an economic thing is that in addition to the number of pieces that you have on the board, which it depends on your uh, hero level, which you can inflate via gold, another another key aspect of the economy, uh, you also have eight slots of like um, your bench, and that's where you like 
keep the units that you're going to use to upgrade your overall composition when they're ready. Um, so there gets to be points where you could have three or four of those slots taken up by one particular combo of units that you are trying to get into the position where you just need one more bounty hunter or one more tusk, <laughs> and then you could just drop like a fully upgraded one on the board. And so there's an opportunity cost that you don't have those free slots to put the other units that might upgrade you later. So you get you get that tunnel vision in re-rolling constantly because there are space limitations on your roster. I think one of the things I found the most daunting about this is that I felt consistently like I was pressured enough with my own decisions and like frantically scrolling through what my purchase options were and like trying to re-roll to find something to because like the one thing i figured out is like oh yeah if you tear up uh one of your heroes like that seems to work let's do that um and so i like my experience was like scrolling through that stuff but where i was really falling down was paying attention to any of the other things that are happening in the game you know what i mean like it was a game i was sort of like caught up in thinking almost as a solitaire experience but it very much isn't uh but it's there's there's so many moving pieces to it that making those kind of decisions about what is still like how like what other players have done and what possibilities that forecloses uh was not a level i got to so i think this is actually like the thing that i learned in the first few matches was that like it is in many ways a solo experience that happens to have other people. And eventually in the late game, you start seeing the same people enough that you can start trying to adjust according to them. But uh, you don't have that much interaction with them in any kind of direct way. The main thing that you really need to have any kind of concentration on the other people with is... Uh, which heroes they're upgrading and that scrolls across the top of the screen it's easy to miss if you happen to be staring at something else but like uh yeah it's it's my initial impression was like this is a competitive game i need to be paying attention to what everyone is doing and it's much less that it's it's mostly you're only really paying attention to what they're doing in terms of where that's leading the economy and the economy might be usually making goblins and max super expensive or super rare they're not actually more expensive because of that whereas uh uh and then seeing what's available to you if you need to readjust your strategy yeah and, and this sort of leads into the concept of the composition to a degree um because i the one thing that we haven't really talked about is race and class um which as that's a bunch of white of bros yeah. uh we're just but no, we're talking fantasy race and class shit. Like so it's meaningless class. and yeah, doesn't map to anything. That's the yeah, important thing, right. Rowan. Yeah. Get with oh, it. Right. There's no metaphor. There's no it. It. it, it none of this stuff means anything. There's all no the, all the trolls are speaking Jamaican accents for some entirely different reason from yes, anything you might of course. think. Um, but the the way that race and class work in this game are the more unique heroes of any race or class you have on the board, it gives you bonuses to something. So for example, warriors, if you have three warriors on the board, it gives all of those warriors a, a buff to their armor. If you have six, it's a greater buff. Or if you have trolls on the board, 
Um, you'll have to excuse my cat as she yells at me from the background. Um, Hi, Hattie. The, there she is. Um, but the or if you have trolls on the board, if you have two trolls on the board, two unique trolls, that's key. It's not if you have two uh, bat riders that this will not earn you the bonus. But if you have a bat rider and a shadow shaman, you'll get the bonus. Um, it, if you have two on the board, it'll give those two trolls a buff to their attack speed. If you have four trolls on the board, it'll give your entire crew a buff to your their attack speed. Whew. Oh Which, yeah. Um, there's the cat yelling at me as always. Um, she she is agreeing that the the four trolls is where it's at. She loves the four trolls. Either that or she's just hungry, even yeah. though she has food in her bowl because she's a cat. <laughs> this is some old school three moves ahead right here. Yeah. The uh, the cat interruption is that. Yeah. Do you need to tend that cat or? She's just gonna yell until I uh, shove her off the bed, which I'm currently doing. There she is. <laughs> All right, that was a shoved cat noise. Um, <laughs> So now she's eating, so we're safe. Um, but yeah, so that that's so th- what ends up happening in these games is you buy a bunch of early units, and then you have this around. Rowan, I don't know if if this. Well, tell me if this is around the around the round that you make the decision. But I usually around round seven or eight, sometimes up to ten, is when I say, okay, I'm going into knights and trolls this game, or warriors and mages, or whatever, and then committing from there uh but yeah this is a breakout hit uh for for a mod uh this is really like caused a lot of people who don't usually play, play dota to be in the dota client and playing dota uh and so i guess th- there's a couple things i'm curious about uh d- did this have any sort of precursors? Like, is there, uh, you know, a, a, a like, the Daisy to uh, Auto Chess's PUBG? You know what I mean? Like, is there other, did this emerge from a mod, like, a mod scene or a mod movement uh, that's been at work? Or is this kind of uh, sui generis? I, I think this is the Daisy. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I mean, like, obviously this game has a lot of influence from, card games like ascension or uh dominion uh and so i i i mean it i would that's purely based on speculation i don't know if they actually took influence from those games i i don't know but it, the way that the game plays and the way that the game operates it it the i see elements i see a lineage there um but yeah like this game is is just smart enough and just uh just janky enough that i can totally see that the next thing like the the next streamlined version of this to be the one that truly truly takes off um and what i'm hoping is it's going to be this mobile version that the developers um i'm spacing on their name um the developers of this mod are the are creating which i want to talk about why that's interesting in a little while but um but yeah what i'm what i'm really hoping is that they manage to figure that out first before anyone else gets to it because you can you can bet 10 cents got something going here yeah 10 cent is absolutely developing one of these there's no way they're not um and or you know some other developer somewhere around the world uh i i'm i yeah like i said i really hope that the developers of this mod get there first because i think they deserve it i think they've created something that is unlike any other card game unlike any other you know, uh, competitive multiplayer game online right now. So we'll see. So, 
so this is speculation uh i don't i don't know the specifics of this but uh there is like a mod scene for dota like there's an arcade mode that you can click on and people make their random modes and my suspicion is that this came out of like a com- idea for a competitive tower defense game uh because i think that's a thing that is often done within like the dota engine um that would be my guess is that that's how it started was we're trying to make tower defense but against other people and that is sort of what it is uh but better <laughs> yeah in a lot of ways but I, I think i guess i never really thought about it looking at it as a tower defense game either because it kind of is too yeah but well, so okay here's a here's a random aside um a couple of years ago i went to a preview event for the the might and magic game with the miniatures uh I totally am blanking on what exactly it was called, but it was like you would paint the miniatures and like then you would have them go out and fight in what was a sort of like a, a Dragon Age Final Fantasy twelve style thing where you like programmed what they would do under certain situations. And then the other people on the other side of that would do the same thing with uh, you know, similar styles of of comps and I'm realizing that like that game was a total disaster, like even the day of release, there were only like a dozen people playing it. Um, and it got pulled out of early access like almost immediately. Ubisoft was just like, nah, nah, we're not we're not making this work. Uh, but that idea of having the sort of creating your little raid bosses or whatever that will automatically go in ways that you can't entirely predict uh, is sort of what's in auto chess and that idea which was a pretty good one but not implemented quite right uh is implemented pretty right here and i think that's a that's another aspect of this game that it's got that satisfying kind of programming uh how your little people work i do think that when we talk about the tactics we can talk about how that's one of the most difficult parts to perceive really how it works but you can still get the idea that you are accomplishing things uh in an indirect fashion there's a level two kunkka on the board that's the raid boss that little asshole (laughs) a level two what kunkka oh yeah he's he's trouble little ghost ship bastard are we there like because one of the things i sort of said right right up front is like what the hell happens once the combat begins is its own thing and like positioning like matters but it's hard to parse how and exactly what your heroes are doing down there uh, because again, it's all out of your hands, and so, like yeah. right now, where where I'm at, to me, this is a game of just like your draft versus their draft. Like, just uh, I'm trying to slap this stuff down on the board as quickly as humanly possible, and just uh, I I hope I match well against whatever they have. Uh, but obviously, there are different archetypes these these characters fill, and you you ha- it's a pretty spacious board. Uh, there's, there's a pretty decent amount of space for them to maneuver and you end up with like weird flank attacks happening without ever having given an order for a flank attack. So yeah, I'm curious about this, the tactics game that's in, in Dota chess or the, or at least the positioning game that's in uh, auto chess. So the way that I think about it is there's sort of a, a few different classes of characters. Um, so there's your your standard, you know, uh, you got your tanks, your DPS, you've got your assassins, your sort of bursty, bursty guys. Uh, you've, you've got your mages, the 
the burst mages who are actually mages typically um, within the game itself. And so the way that the way that positioning works typically is obviously you want to have a front line. This is very basic. You want to have a front line. So, you know, you set your warriors or your knights up front um, in the back. You've got your sort of DPS slash burst mage type heroes. Um, and then off to the sides typically are your assassins types uh, who when you place a hero towards the back, they have to get to the other opposing hero and they don't just walk up. They jump, they leap. Uh, so a lot of heroes will leap. If you put them in the back, they'll leap from your back to the back of the other side. Uh, so if you have a phantom assassin, for example, the, you put them in your back corner, they will leap to the back corner. And ideally, the concept there is they will jump behind the front line of the opposing player and start killing the DPS heroes. Obviously, this is a, there's an element of RNG here, so that doesn't always happen. Um, but the other thing to think about is every hero in the game minus a couple, have ultimate abilities. So they have this ability that once they get enough mana, they will cast it automatically. Uh, the way that you get mana, or your units get mana, is either they deal damage or they take damage. And the the taking damage, you gain mana faster. Uh, so there are certain heroes. Kunkka is a good example. Um, his ultimate is a ghost ship that comes flying off the board. If you've ever seen Dota play, you've seen Kunkka's ult. It's this flowing ghost ship that comes off the board and when it crashes into the targeted location it does an aoe stun and this is one of the strongest ults in the game so even if you have a level one kunkka one that's going to die pretty quickly uh because he doesn't have a lot of defense and he doesn't deal a whole lot of damage you want to put him towards the front so he begins taking a bit of damage but you don't want to put him too far into the front because he will die instantly without casting his ult so the goal is to figure out a place where he can be, where he's going to take enough damage, where he gets his ult off, and once he gets his ult off, it doesn't matter. He can die. It's not a huge deal. Um, but the ult is so powerful that it it you want him to get it off. Uh, there are other heroes. Razor is a good example, whose ult is a, an AoE uh, damage ability. You want Razor to ult as many times as possible over the course of the fight. So you want to put him in a location where he can either take just the tiniest amount of damage or he can continuously deal damage himself uh, and and survive long enough to get off two ultimate abilities over the course of the round. Uh, typically, if you have a strong razor on your board, he ults twice, you win. Same with Kunkka. Um, so yeah, that that's sort of the very basics of positioning. I am not a I'm not great at positioning. That's one of my the weakest parts of my game right now. Um, but yeah. That's sort of the way I start to think about it. So yeah, uh, from what I can tell, the logic tends to work. Like, when the battle starts, uh, every character except assassins takes a second and figures out where they want to go. And I think it decides if they're going to the same place, it might be random, which one actually gets it. And then they go to like their second place if it's not. Because I have seen some characters like go backwards. Uh, it's a little weird. Um, so initially, all your characters except the assassins jump, and then the assassins automatically jump to the weak side of the enemy unless there's like someone they can attack that's pretty close. So generally, you want your assassins in a place where they will automatically head towards the back and start taking out mages and warlocks. Um, or you want people on your flanks who will get in the way of the assassins if the enemy has people on the flanks but it's hard to predict until the late game when you've like been playing against someone long enough to know what their comp is and know like 
how you might want to set up counters. If they have if they have assassins coming at you, you might want to stick a warrior in your back line just because uh, that will slow down all their damage. You know, this is stuff that you really only get over the course of the game. It's it's hard to figure out at the beginning. Um, the only the only thing that I tend to really do tactics wise depends on if I have very specific units where um, so axe is like one of the level one generic warriors and he has a taunt. So if you have an axe, especially a tier three axe, sticking him in the middle is a really good idea. Uh, another orc warrior, Juggernaut, has like a whirlwind where he just spins with his sword and does damage. So if you have a Juggernaut, I have found I want to like start staggering my units so that the enemies come in in diag or so they're like yeah so that they're they're on diagonals from each other so the juggernaut will hit three or four of them when he starts spinning instead of you know one or two uh so like that's the level that i'm at with the tactics but i think there's automatically a randomness to it that is part of the reason that this game has the staying power that it does uh because you can't always know exactly what's going to happen um for example when when you're playing around, you're not just defending against an enemy. Your units are out attacking another enemy, and I'm pretty sure it's the same units in the same formation. And often, they are the random number generator that says, you know, I'm attacking Taylor this round. Oh, and Taylor's also attacking me. Sometimes you'll win like on your defense but lose on your offense because there's just enough randomness that that can happen or you win with like six on the defense but only three of your units break through to do damage on the offense um and you you get a notification screen at the end of each round when this is happening you don't have to like go and click and see what's happening uh because that would be kind of a nightmare but uh yeah, so there's there's enough there that uh I think it stops the game from being totally solvable this is one of the now one thing i have noticed is for for y'all this sounds like uh you even this is a a strength of the game i have noticed when i was sort of looking up tutorials and such and you know doing the like what am i supposed to do in this game and and how am i supposed to play it uh one of the things that people like com- like complain about with this game uh is that the randomness can be really frustrating. Uh, and I, I couldn't totally work out whether that is a product of people just getting frustrated with the sort of double randomness of what you're sort of dealt in the drafting stage and then the slight like lack of predictability for what's going to happen once the battle is joined uh, or if it's sort of more specifically to to one particular aspect uh, of this game. But I was sort of struck, uh, you know, just early on, there's already a some frustration within the you know community people playing auto chess that uh, this is a game that where, where RNG has too much sway. Well, this is a competitive gamer issue is that they hate RNG. They want to 
dominate via their skills and like when you have a game that's competitive this makes sense you don't want an rng determining the outcome of a basketball game right you know you want that to be the skills and talents and strategies of each team and so when you have like full-on esports it makes sense to try and limit the amount of randomness um and this is apparently one of the reasons the artifact kind of fell apart is that there was a little bit too much randomness and the people who wanted to go to it competitively who it was made for uh couldn't actually like develop full strategies because there was just so much randomness to it um, this is second hand so don't grill me on this this is just a, a thing that i heard about it but uh psychologically randomness is actually a good thing for casual players like i have seen studies about how when you have a game that has randomness in it people will blame the game for when they lose and they won't blame each other or they won't blame themselves which tends to make people angry and shitty uh this is why the blue shell in mario kart is despised by everybody because the blue shell is a totally random bullshit thing that will fuck you up but you're angry at the blue shell and you're not angry at bobby for throwing the blue shell at you so like there is a use to that unless you want to have like a full-on auto chess esports competition um and then the level that the randomness works for you is going to be a subjective thing like i don't like the randomness in Hearthstone, but the randomness people can play about in Hearthstone is like cards that will do X amount of damage or pull like six random cards and do those things and that people find those too random. That's not what I don't like. I don't like the so much of Hearthstone is based on just which cards you draw at the start of the game. Um, like I've had games where like my first two rounds of Hearthstone, I get shitty cards. That's game over. Like, fuck that. That's not fun. Man, auto chess, I don't. <laughs> yeah, auto chess, I don't get that feeling because you have a huge cushion in terms of how long you have to develop your synergies, and every match like goes on long enough that you have the opportunity to like develop a new strategy or fill in your strategy to a point where you'll probably have at least one winning streak, um, or at least one not totally losing all the time streak. Um, and you, it has the ebbs and flows, then that tends to uh, make it very appealing to me. I mean, the, the, for me personally, I mean, like as somebody who enjoys a card game or two or a dozen, uh, the 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 element of sitting there and looking for something, being like, uh, there's like uh, this almost discovery element to when you have decided to spend all your money on rerolls and trying to find that one last unit. Um, it. it brings me a lot of vibes of uh when i'm playing magic to when i'm looking for that one deck one card off the top of the deck I, I i know i have it i know it's there i just need to find it um and it, that yeah it's frustrating but like you also have to understand that it's uh, you don't have to if you don't like it that's not, that's fine too but like there, you, there's this understanding that it's there i know it's there i just have to find it and that, to me, adds a really interesting element of uh, strategy and element of macro that you have to decide, like, hey, okay, this is the this is my moment. I, I know if I find this one more unit or if I find these two more units to combine into this level three unit, uh, then I'm going to have a very strong chance of winning the game. I know it's going to decimate my economy. I, I'm fully aware of that choice. And th for me, that's that's the randomness that I like. I like that 
I like drawing cards off the top. Uh, that adds to that excitement moment. Um, the randomness actually on the field itself is also fun for me because it becomes like a spectator moment where you're looking at your team and you're saying, okay, I've got this great composition. I've, I feel like I've set this up. And then all of a sudden their team comes in and that random Kunkka ult knock, hits six of my units and stuns them for a second. And that's that's how I lose. Um, and you go, okay, well, maybe next time the, the Kunkka ult won't be as good. It'll it'll hit somebody else. Uh, and it, it adds every... So every round is a little bit different. Every There's no... Once you... There's no moment where you know exactly how the next round is going to turn out. Um, you you don't know that it be, just because you beat this guy last turn doesn't mean you're going to beat him again next turn, because it's it's like throwing it's like betting on basketball <laughs> in a weird way. You say like okay, so the, the the Warriors should beat what's a bad basketball team? The Knicks. The Warriors should beat the <laughs> Knicks. Um. But like every once in a while, the Knicks beat the Warriors, and you go, "What the fuck? Like that shouldn't." What the... Okay, next game, next game, next game. It'll be fine. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna double down on next game. Um, and I, 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 I appreciate that about Auto Chess. It gives you that vibe because it's it's sort of like the grand strategy is going to win out. The Warriors are right. going to go to the playoffs, and they're going to have a very strong mm. chance to win the championship that the Knicks might not, even if the Knicks have one really good game. And that's sort of, you have you have that time in an auto chess match to like get to the point where you can usually see what went wrong. And sometimes it's just that you got a shitty beginning and you just never quite clicked with a, a set of synergies, and that does feel bad. But that's pretty rare. Most of the time, it's that you got hung up chasing a single unit or you made the decision to go into uh, your in-game comp uh, too late or you decided to like do too many different things at once. That's the one that usually gets me. I'm like, I'm going to do knights and warriors and warlocks and druids. And wait, <laughs> this is not actually functional. But I have so many four stars of each. How did this not work? So yeah, it's... Uh, it it's that point where yeah, most of the time yeah that's right uh most of the time there's like a learning period that you can get from it or you can just acknowledge like yes this other person had a strategy that worked better than mine and sometimes that just happens or sometimes you know they have comps that will uh be better than yours like an assassin comp is likely to be the mage camp comp mages will destroy most any other things but assassins are like <laughs> explicitly designed to destroy mage comps and that happens and like maybe you find out that the last two people are you with your mages and then with their assassins and uh you just don't have the time to go back and do that again and you know that's kind of neat it sucks to lose but you still get your candies you do that's get like your the, candies that's like the free-to-play currency that gets you shinier couriers it's uh not it's actually important <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter. It, it's MOBA stuff. Um, Don't worry. Also, about for it. the record, if you're a Knicks fan, you can. I'm. I'm an Angelino. You can just replace it with the Lakers right now. It's fine. <laughs> I forgive I, you. No, but I. I love the fact that like clearly you you were not feeling. Like, you have, maybe you haven't been keeping up on basketball that much, but like your go to, like who can I safely say yeah. is always <laughs> just going to get crushed by the team. I'm the Knicks. Yeah. No, I. I'm gonna be honest with you. Have not been paying attention to basketball this year in the slightest. Yep. I'm just assuming the Knicks are bad. Yeah, so, yeah. There, sure. there is one team in the NBA that does not have a star or a budding star on it. It's the Knicks. Well, there you go. 
Yeah, probably, but they're going to get did all it. the stars next year. That's yeah, the plan. they have cap space and hope, so that's that's always good. They've and never a fucked culture that of success before. that players are excited to join. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I think I think maybe this is another part of what's interesting about this game is it satisfies you know, Rowan. I think you know a moment ago you you, you were talking about. Uh, the grand strategy wins out over the course of a season. And I think there's something interesting here about the way this game compresses time. Like, it doesn't feel like you're playing... It certainly doesn't have the dynamics of playing a single card game against somebody. This, these are not magic duels. These are not even Hearthstone duels. It doesn't feel at all like that. Um, what it does feel like is there are sort of you know you're doing almost like quick play resolutions on what card game results would be and then what you're what you're seeing play out over the course of a match is sort of the gm level view of the decisions you're making and so it's an it's an interesting thing uh from from that standpoint cuz i cuz i think maybe it also does a good job just by virtue of that structure bringing into some focus some of the higher level strategies that are in that a lot of that are, that are in other games uh but are often invisible until you've achieved a really high literacy for how all the game mechanics work and you how have they made me realize that other. this is championship manager and like my mind is blown yeah uh. i mean that's kind of that's kind of it, right? Is is that you know you're you're able to run through, uh, you know, <laughs> dozens of different iterations of your strategy to see what the outcomes were, um, and that's unusual for that's that's unusual for a, like a competitive game, but it's very familiar from like a management game. I I agree. Um... One thing that I would like to talk about a little more before we finish up, and this might get into more of the nitty-gritty so you can be a pumpkin if you need, Rob. Yeah. Uh, and that's the asymmetric nature of this game. Uh, there are not, like, five of each race and five of each class out there. And there's not, like, like I said, there's not a warlock in the uh, first level of units. So if you want warlocks, you have to go into them late game. And like some of that is like it gives a certain brand of dota personality like you might care about how those characters are you know uh implemented and uh given their ratings and so on like i was complaining about the goblin alchemist in uh in auto chess because i think that's the most useless piece in the game right now and people who know dota 2 were like it's amazing that people are complaining about alchemist in the meta but in a totally different way and about how bad it is instead of how good it is. Also, uh, Rubik is not in this game, which I have beef about. <laughs> Give Rubik a chance. Uh, but what what becomes interesting is that there are like certain pathways that the asymmetrical nature pushes you down slightly, but not inherently. And the one that like Taylor and I have talked about a little bit is the trolls. So we both really like would you get four trolls and everyone on your board attacks with like a huge attack speed buff? Like that is just devastating. Um, if you have like a reasonably strong comp built around that, uh, 
that will can win you a match. I think three of the four matches I've won, or four of the five, I've had trolls involved. Yeah, the um, vast majority of my wins have been on the back of trolls. Um, so trolls have two different one-star units, which are the shaman, shadow shaman, and the bat rider, uh, who is a knight. Uh, they have one two-star unit, which is the warlock. I don't remember what his name was exactly right now. Uh, uh, the other, yeah. Oh god, why am I spacing on that? Shadow Shaman and the other guy. Yeah. Uh, and then they have the Warlord, who is a four-star hero, which is pretty significantly rare. You're not likely to see them before, like, round ten of the game. Oh, we haven't even talked about items. Um, Don't, <laughs> uh, but I, I do have an airing of grievances. Uh, friend yeah. of the show, Andy Grun. Uh, I was playing a game with him the other night. I, all I needed was my troll warlord, and he knew that, and he kept buying troll warlords, even though it did not fit his comp, and I'm mad at him right now. Yeah, so, that's, that is extremely fair. Andy, uh, fuck you. Yeah, fuck uh, that guy. <laughs> and that's an interesting level that I think at the either playing with friends or um, playing at like the higher rank rankings of this, where you actually recognize people consistently, uh, and so you know their habits, could get really interesting. Uh, because there are that's an uh, an opportunity cost or not an opportunity cost but yeah that's pulling something off the board that potentially someone else could use um which so yeah, doctor the, is the other one which doctor which, i remember yes uh so the warlord is a four-star hero and like that he's a warrior also so you have uh knights and warriors who are like the two main frontline classes involved with the trolls you have and you have warlocks who are one of the main backlined along with the mages or and i guess hunters i don't like hunters i don't like hunters uh, either yeah they got buffed in the last patch and i don't think it was enough um and then there's a shaman and there's only one other shaman in the game but they get a pretty nifty buff if they're on the field together so when you get trolls, you have a bunch of different directions that you can go to. And like the two matches I won last night, I started going with trolls. I ended up putting together warlocks. Uh, I think just three of them. And then I used both the warriors and the knights in each different match because, you know, the cards came out that way. Uh, but it's most of the time when I'm doing it, I go with knights because I like knights a little bit better. And I don't always go with warlocks because warlocks can be hard to get because they show up in the late game. But that asymmetry is there in a way that makes me think this is always a viable path. This is a composition that I can work with that will uh, potentially win me the game. Um, and I think that's... I don't know how intentional that is. The way because, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it, because like I could see this being over-designed. I could see someone saying, okay, we have to get exactly the right balance of these units in order to you know make this perfectly lined up instead of here's this messy hodgepodge of Dota shit that seems to make sense. Have at it. And I really like that aspect of that, the asymmetry. It's, it's, it does end up in in a lot of situations where yeah, like you said, sometimes if you're in a high-level match, uh, people will start buying stuff out from underneath each other. But also it adds this really interesting element of once you've committed to a composition, say you're going Trolls Knights, but then you see the Tidehunter in the late game, which is a five-gold hero, five-star hero, um, and he also has one of the best crowd control ultimates in the game. Um, you have to make this decision. Do I pick up this Tidehunter because he's immensely powerful just on his own 
just by himself. His ult is so good that it, it is worth just slotting him into a comp if you have if you have the slot for it. So do you risk potentially losing some endgame synergies between classes and units for this one specific ultimate that is going to help you out in certain in certain situations just by crowd control alone? Or do you risk giving it to somebody else in order to continue pushing into and committing deep into your composition? And it, it, the, that adds this moment in the late game that it continues to hand you more and more decisions more and more different decisions the decisions interesting decisions yeah that that are that are different because in the early game you just kind of want some strong heroes so a couple level twos to get you to the mid game in the mid game you're looking to fill out your composition create these synergies blah 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 and then in the late game you are either finishing up putting together your three star heroes or you're saying oh i found these five star units um that are just useful by themselves, but they don't necessarily fit into my composition. And so every stage of the game, you're making different decisions that are unique and interesting and difficult. They're hard decisions. And that's really, I think that's really where the auto chess shines is the fact that it's so different depending on which stage of the game you're in. Um, and also game per game and hand per hand. I don't know. It, it's fascinating how such a simple concept has gotten so deep and so complex and is still again coming from four guys just making a mod and uh this is also where the asymmetry comes in handy because uh the the tide hunter you mentioned is a naga uh there aren't many naga in the game uh if you get two naga on the board and once you get the tide hunter you know why not try to find a sl- slot for that second one then all your units get like a 30 percent magic resistance buff which can be huge especially if you're going against mages and warlocks um my favorite like tiny little buff i like to get is just drop two undead on the board and that gives you uh that debuffs all the enemy's armor so if you manage to get two undead when you have a knights or a warriors comp you can just shred those fuckers uh and like i can attach an undead comp to a troll comp if i'm going warlocks because most of the undead in the game are warlocks especially if you're going trolls knights and warlocks uh that gets pretty wild and like that's just a late game thing where it's like oh there's an undead warlock i drop him in all of a sudden my knights do twice as much damage or whatever i don't think it's twice as much but you can actually just like see the enemies melt when they're doing their little fights so much faster when you have that debuff uh, so yeah that this is just a neat thing that happens to be in there that is still a decision you can make even when you've committed to a strategy much earlier in the game even if you successfully committed to that strategy you can just be like well here's another little strategy that i'm going to go down this in-game path and it's going to win me the match it's a great game man good job modders uh this that actually kind of half brings us to the uh the final point I want to make personally is the, the how much how interested I am in this mobile version, uh, which the mobile version itself. Um, if you see the ads for it, they are actually changing the characters again. Because they obviously can't use Dota properties. It's a third. It's a but they can use the name. I, I'm not sure if they, they No, They're just calling it auto chess. Oh really? The okay, game, so it's not even going to be Dota Auto Chess. Yeah, the name of the so if actually if you load up Auto Chess now and in, in Dota, 
its logo just as auto chess. So they've taken the Dota out. Yeah. So you're once again, not only did Valve remove itself one step from the original Warcraft 3 characters by, you know, buying the, or using the Dota property. Now these auto chess guys are taking it and removing it one step further by creating their own designs based on the auto or based on the Dota characters. I hope they like make them extra generic and just like instead of sniper, it's just called dwarfy. Yeah, dwarf shoot, <laughs> dwarf shootman. Uh, but I I just find that so fascinating that like we've gotten this far that there are mods of mods and now official versions of mods that were an official version of another mod. Yeah, I I was I was googling to try and see if I could quickly find the uh, developers' names. Uh, we'll try to get that in the the notes, I guess, Drodo because that seems kind of important. Like? Yeah, Drodo. Drodo. Yeah, uh, and apparently there's a Warcraft three version of it, so it's degeneracing it. Oh my uh, god! Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. What if what if they make an auto chess within the remastered Warcraft three engine? That that seems pretty likely. I I wonder if like Blizzard has the flexibility to be like, can we do Hot's Auto Chess? Can we? <laughs> I don't think they do, but I think that would be a really good idea if they if they did. Like that would they be need hysterically to, funny. They, I don't know. I mean, the, they need what, to drop a buff on Hot's. And they did call out the fact their pipeline uh, is pretty bare, and nothing says you can't take game mechanics. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean. I'm pretty sure if anyone would be allowed to, it would be Blizzard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say about this game is that, uh, like, since we're on the strategy game podcast here, it's pretty twitchy. You wouldn't think it's twitchy, but, like, we've talked about the time pressure. It can be a little bit too much. Like, if you are not, like, pretty happy with, like, MOBA levels of... uh uh, micromanagement ability or perhaps like a, a competitive rts you know not like pro competitive but like playing starcraft against your buddies or whatever like i'm not sure that this would be an ideal game for you because that 30 second timer goes a lot faster than you think it might um and like i would love to see a slightly more relaxed version of that in future incarnations but uh regardless uh my recommendation would be if you are not super twitchy uh that this might not be ideal for you but if you could handle like a steel division or uh you know a league of legends i think you'll be fine well i think crucially is you can fail quickly here you know what i mean like it's a strange thing. The arc of an entire game is actually, as you said, Rowan, it's a pretty substantial commitment of time. It doesn't feel like it, though, because it's all, like, unfolding in these rapid-fire battles. And so it's a weird thing. It is a little bit twitchy. There is a little bit of a time pressure. But then you kind of take your hands off the wheel, and you just kind of vaguely watch what happens while you think about, like, okay, well, here's what I want to try to straighten out next time. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. It feels different than like, you know, 15 minutes into a real-time strategy match where you're running up against the limits of your skill, and now it's time to just get worked for the next 10, 15 minutes and like slowly, slowly implode. Uh, this feels – I like the degree to which uh, there's a kind of weightlessness to the individual rounds, and uh, that, that may that, – I found reduced my angst over my um, micro skills pretty substantially. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, I've, I mean, on top of that, there is always the once you understand the game a little bit deeper, there's always the element of oh, I can come back from this. Like that round didn't matter. It's fine. Wow. Um, the it's, I, that was not a slight against you, Rob. I apologize. <laughs> um, no, but like the, the I, I mean, I've seen people come back and win games from ten percent. You know, ten percent HP come back and and yeah. just find that one unit they need and just carry the rest of the game. Um, I've seen it. I've seen that happen on multiple occasions. Uh, so like the, it, it really does give this feeling of, oh, I, I, there's always a way back in. There's always going to be a the one unit I can find, the one composition that I can put together, uh, and it come back real late and and just carry the rest of it. And that that is really appealing for a game of a competitive game. Particularly, I mean, like, you know, you see a lot of players dropping off this Dota, dropping off League of Legends, saying like, oh, they, you know, once I've lost, you're just done. Um, And on top of that, of course, it's an individual competitive game, which that makes that element a lot easier as well, because you only have you only have you in the game to blame, man. I think the question I have for you here at the end is to what degree do you want do you want to see this just adapted to sort of a, a, a theme or sort of an ethos that you, you've clicked with maybe a little bit more? Like, you know, Rowan, for you, Heroes of the Storm, I, I think, was a MOBA that just in its approach to the genre, you already kind of identified with, and now you're kind of built in, you're kind of already invested in that. Uh, so to what degree does the idea of like, yeah, Heroes of the Storm auto chess sounds awesome. Uh, and to what degree do you like, are you more interested in seeing this thing reinvented uh, by other people? Because right now I think I'm still in that like, I want to see the more polished version of this, but I'm nowhere near the place where I feel like I can even imagine where this is going to go. Uh, or more, maybe more accurately, I don't know if this is a genre or if it's a game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, where do you look at like the history of competitive games? So many of them have come out of random weird little mods. Um, Counter Strike, Team Fortress, just like team-based shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original Team Fortress was a Quake mod that, like, there's a story about John Romero or John Carmack. I don't remember which one. Like, looking at the player numbers and seeing that there were more people playing Team Fortress than original Quake Deathmatch, and being like, something has just changed. And that was, you know, extremely correct. That became one of the dominant forms of all video games, the the team-based shooter. Um, Then you have, obviously, Dota. You have Tower Defense itself was, like, partially built on the bones of StarCraft and WarCraft 3. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of reason to believe that this could be a game that uh, does become a genre and even a dominant genre. And, like... It seems to be extremely well suited for mobile. The interface would almost certainly be better than that sort of two-step modded interface that you were talking about. I think that we probably are seeing at some level the adoption of a genre. I don't know that because of the randomness we've discussed, I don't know that we're going to see this become like a giant competitive game at the level that you see Counter-Strike or League of Legends or something like that. And that might keep it somewhat limited to, uh, you know, strategy game podcasts instead of every podcast. But 
um, yeah, I do think there's something special here. In terms of what I want, like, I do definitely in a short term want to see the, the Heroes of the Storm version of this, right? That's a little more polished, that's a little faster, not necessarily faster paced in each round, but maybe the games are like 10 minutes shorter. Um, I think you could cut a little bit of the dross off the start of each match pretty easily and maybe have a little bit fewer hit points and still maintain the, the overall integrity of the idea. So I would like to see, like, a blizzard style take on it where they file off some of the rough edges and make it faster and smoother. Um, but yeah, I would also like to see people get daring with this or maybe not daring, but like see what the apex legends of this battle Royale is, uh, you know, what can you add to this that would really make it weird? What's another extra dimension that, uh, is a thing that will give this mass appeal, that kind of thing. Like there, there is enough there that, uh, yeah, this could be something that we're paying attention to for a while. And I hope so. Cause I think it's a amazing concept. Like it's just, it's, I, I, I've described it in the same way that I described Dota in that it's a pile of bad game design decisions that happen to work amazingly well together. <laughs> um, and I, I, I believe in that fully. And I, I think that's where all great games are. That's where all great games are made is just throwing it, lumping a bunch of stuff together and figuring out how to make it work. Um, and so I, I, I hope that somebody, and I hope that Drodo are the people that really make money off this thing. Cause the concept is amazing. Um, and I hope that the mobile version really takes off whenever that comes out. Um, Cause we could see here, this could be the first full on mega popular uh, mobile competitive game. I mean, clash, the clash games i guess but like i'm talking like coming from pc to directly to phones i, I think that that would be a really interesting thing to have happen and, and getting like the attention of the game's press right. in a way that a lot of the the competitive mobile games only partially get but yeah I, I think that would be a fascinating thing to have happen and uh i hope that it, eventually it does and it makes drodo a ton of money those four guys deserve it for sure what a great game I love auto chess. He loved auto chess. No, I don't love it anymore. No, I'm just, I'm just waiting because I wanted to see like because he's been saying that I just, I love this game. What a great game for like five minutes. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that like, are you sitting on any more love for this game, Taylor? No, I think I'm out. You guys, I, I, I was, I, I know there's a Rob pause. The Rob pauses. I've listened to it for oh, you know, yeah, years yeah, now. The, yeah, no, the the I try to figure out what that like what the hell I'm supposed to do with the segue. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's that's classic. And uh, the the problem was the Rob pause lasted a little too long, so I figured yeah. I'd try to help you out, give you a little bit of extra time to think about it. That's true. I needed it. I needed it. Uh, yeah, and that will do it for this week. That will do it for Auto Chess. Uh, we'll be back next week. More strategy discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, Ron, real quick, you done anything with Auto Chess uh, at, at your day job of late or uh, any, anything good there? I can Any good resources I can go to? Uh, to up my game i published a guest post that was just like what the heck is auto chess which we have pretty much well covered here um but i may try to write something this week since it's gdc and i've been playing a bunch of this so uh if i do do that 
reasonably soon, then we can maybe stick this in the notes. And uh, Taylor, you got anything that you're up to? You want to you want to start promote? Uh, you you gonna be you gonna be going pro for Auto Chess? You just waiting for that scene yeah. to pop? And uh, there's yeah. another competitive game you can dominate. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm I'm currently uh, courting teams. Uh, if anyone wants to throw me an offer, uh, I'm glad to have my lawyers take a look at it. Uh, other than that, uh, can I can I plug my podcast? My other one. Oh. Um, it's about you are, anime. You are an anime fan now, Rob. Yeah. That is true. I guess I would be it would be hypocritical of me uh, to uh, to be too squeamish about this. Plug your anime podcast, Taylor. It's called Naruto Show. It's about Naruto. It's real dumb. <laughs> that's, I cannot that's believe you got my Naruto entire show. pitch. <laughs> it's 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 a stupid idea. We're watching all the episodes. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but you got the title. That's the part that blow like yeah. Is our show is a really good title. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, that's that's well done. Uh, we should we should plug the 1994 podcast because there's probably not too much overlap with listeners of that and this one. But that was a really fun podcast. Listen to the last three MA too. Yeah, uh, listen to our 1994 podcast uh, in which the wing the wing commander three liker logs on repeatedly <laughs> over the course of a single episode. Uh, and you think we moved on from it and then bring it right back with one more thing about Colonel Christopher Blair and Mark Hamill. All right, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. I think that one might be the long-awaited, overdue, frankly, Empire of the Sun show uh, with me and Bruce. Um, I've, been, I, I've, I've spent the last couple months in deep study and contemplation of Mark Herman's Empire of the Sun board game. Uh, there's currently a foot-high stack of books on the Pacific Theater on my uh, on on my dining room table that I've been sort of getting into. So I'm, hopefully I'm going to really bring my A game for that uh, more than I have for any of my matches with Bruce. Uh, so stay tuned <laughs> for that. Uh, until then, for Rowan, for Taylor, this is Rob Zachney saying good night. <laughs>